What's your life saying to you? That's a big question right there. You don't have to answer. It's kind of a rhetorical question. If you want to share, you can. But what is your life saying to you? What is it speaking to you in the very depths of your soul? There is a Quaker phrase, let your life speak. And that's a phrase that's often used by friends to talk about, don't just tell people that you love them. Don't just talk about your faith. Express your faith in actions. Express your faith in deeds. That's a very important part to that, and I agree with that. That's one thing Quakers have always been very um, adamant about. Our life is a living testimony. We just don't give a testimony. We live it. Peace, simplicity, integrity, community, equality, others, love, um, a big one. So let our lives speak. But what if we let our lives speak also in a different way? That we let our lives speak to us, to what we need to hear, to what we need to know about ourselves that our life itself becomes the very text that needs to be read. I love reading books. Most of you know that. If I can have books and a coffee shop, then I'm pretty good for life. We go shopping. I get gift cards for Christmas, and I'm always getting books with the gift cards. And In fact, the standing joke around our house is the 80s called, and they would like my wardrobe back. And uh, so I promised Linda I would actually start buying some new pants and some new shirts and forget books. But what I find is this. When I am not listening to my life, I would rather read about other people's lives than listen to my own. I would rather read what other people have written about God and faith than listen to my own. What does your life speak to you? Romans, that passage that Daisha read, there's a different translation, another one, and it's actually in your bulletin on that yellow insert on the other side from the chorus. It's from Eugene Peterson. And here's how he translates the first two verses. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants our whole life. Paul uses the language of sacrifice, which would have been very familiar to his readers, particularly Jewish folks who had become Christians or had Uh, accepted the way of Christ, but they knew the language of sacrifice because that had been their ritual, that had been their process, that had been their ceremony. You bring a lamb, you bring a goat, you bring a pigeon, you bring a dove, and you offer it to God as a thank offering. You offer it to God as acknowledging God's ownership and provision for their life. You bring this animal to the sacrifice, and the priest would sacrifice, and that was their acknowledgement that, God, you are the owner of us, you provide for us. But now Paul takes us a step farther. 
No longer, Paul says, do you bring animals as part of this ceremony or ritual. They are now to offer their whole lives to God. In this way, they acknowledge that they are completely God's, and their whole life depends upon God. And God has ownership of it. He's saying, don't bring a sacrifice. Bring a living sacrifice, which is your life. Offer your whole life to God not just parts of it, not just the Sunday part of it, not just the hour over here, not just a piece or a corner of it, but as Eugene Peters says, Peterson says, we take our everyday ordinary life, sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I once heard one pastor say, by the way, you know what the problem of the living sacrifice is? It has a tendency to crawl off the altar. I have no idea what that means. But I think what it means is we tend to try to get away from this offering our whole life to God. This is an important shift. Because when we do this, we essentially find that the raw material for our own spiritual growth and development is our own life. If I listen to my life, if I let my life speak to me, I become aware of the areas in my life in which there are gaps areas in which there are disconnects, and I become aware of areas in my life in which I'm growing and I'm becoming whole again. We often want others to tell us about that. We often want others to speak to us about that. But in essence, we are the one that's closest to that because it resides within us, our heart and our soul, and God speaks to us in those very, very deep places. I'm not going to read that quote that I read from the bulletin. You can read it again. But God comes disguised to us as our life, the raw material, every day, right in front of me. That's the agenda for my life. My own living, my own breathing, my own everyday existence sets that agenda, the issues in your life. Now, so often the case, I read Paul's words in Scripture again from the message. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Now, if the truth be known, I can become so well-adjusted to my culture that it begins to feel normal to me, and then it begins to feel right. It's only when my life begins to feel out of sync as if there's something missing that I begin to re-examine how I have adjusted myself to culture and the price I'm paying for it. Because that's why it's so valuable for me to listen to my life. It's so valuable to hear what my life speaks to me. For example, my culture wants me to compete with everyone around me and divide my life up into winners and losers. But God invites me to be in community with others and deepen my connection with other people. My culture wants me to be this insatiable consumer and and have my value based on what I purchase and own, but God invites me to live a life of deep contentment and be content with what God provides and what I simply need. Sometimes my culture wants me to fear those I don't know and fear those that are supposed to be my enemies, but God invites me to get to know those people I don't know and as hard as it is to love my enemies. And by the way, your enemies don't have to be halfway across the world. We probably have a few that live right down the street, if the truth be known. People that we just fear. My culture wants me to find someone or something to blame about my life, but God invites me to take a loving but honest look at my life and see where my responsibility lies when life doesn't go as planned. When I fail or make mistakes, my culture wants to brand me 
to shame me, to, to have my present defined by my past, but God invites me to start over, to live into the freedom of God's forgiveness and to God's healing love. And I'm also pretty well convinced that my culture likes it when I'm more cynical and fatalistic about life. But God invites me to be a person of faith, hope, and love, and to live in such a way that it ripples out from my life. You see, when I'm not fixing my attention on God, as Paul says, it's easy for me to get sucked sucked into what culture wants me to be, what the surrounding atmosphere wants me to be. And many times that's out of sync with God's kingdom. Frederick Beekner writes this. He says, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. If I were to have a couple takeaways from this for me about listening to my life, that God comes disguised as my life, I would say this first. Our real life is not something to be avoided but embraced. Let me say it again. Our real life is not something to be avoided but embraced. I think sometimes it's really hard for us to embrace our whole life. Maybe there's parts of it we're scared of. Maybe there's parts of it we're ashamed of. Maybe there's parts of it we don't even want to go there because... We just don't want to go there. And so we hide it from God. And sometimes we hide it from ourselves. What Paul says is our real life is not something to avoid. It's something to be embraced, to be acknowledged, because we bring that to God. And that's what teaches us about who we are and who we can be. There's many times in my life I have to ask myself questions like, why did that make me angry? Why does that person frustrate me? Why does that person annoy me? Why did I act that way? I find that my life, when I embrace all the good parts and even the not-so-good parts, it has something to teach me if I'm willing to listen. The second takeaway is this, that we offer our real selves to God and not the dressed-up pretend self, or at least the self I think God wants. And God wants the whole thing, as Paul says, to offer my whole life. This morning in our nine o'clock time of silence, I was listening as best as I could. In about 10 to 15, 20 minutes of silence, um, I know that seems like a lot to some, but I tell you what, after a week of constant stimulation from life and people, 20 minutes of silence is heaven. And in that 20 minutes, one verse kept, when I say kept coming to me, that's my way of avoiding the fact that God was speaking to me. This one verse, and it was out of Romans chapter 8, where Paul simply says, and nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And I just sat there for a few moments and realized that there's nothing in my life that will separate me from God. It's love. Nothing at all. But at times, the parts of myself I don't like, I tend to separate out. I exclude them. I keep them over here because I'm afraid to own them and embrace them and offer them to God. And then when I keep them over here to the side, what happens is I may put on a little bit of a a, a dressed-up self. I may pretend a little bit. I may try to be someone I'm not. And in that silence, I heard God say, look, don't separate out your life. Just bring it all, every little bit of it. As the film says, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
and just offer it to me because there's nothing in this life that can separate you from my love. And that stuff is what's going to teach you more than anything else. My greatest teacher in life, and I don't try to do this, but my greatest teacher in life have been my failures. How I failed people. How I failed myself. How I failed my life. And when I have been willing to own it and let it speak to me, it has become one of the greatest spiritual teachers in my journey. This coming Tuesday, I go for my annual physical. Now, part of that will be listening to my heart. The doctor is going to listen for irregularities. He's going to tell me I drink too much coffee. We'll have this conversation again. But he's going to listen for clues as to whether my heart is healthy or not. And the doctor is going to do that because he wants what's best for me, to bring out the best in me and to live this healthy life. That's what Paul, or that's what God wants, for us to listen to our hearts so that we can live out the best of who we are and the best that God has for us. Trevor Hudson is a pastor in South Africa, and he has this to say. He's pastored in the squalors of South Africa, rural churches, and some of the toughest places. And he says he's pastored in some of the nicest suburb churches in South Africa. And he says this, that deep in the heart of every, every human being is this one question, how do I live well? And he goes on to write this, while these specific words are seldom used, the question is written in the emptiness of our daily lives. It is written on our boredom our despair, our depression, our experimentation with drugs, our addictions, our compulsions, and all the wreckage of human life that surrounds us. In all these areas, we hear the haunting question, how do I live well? And my answer is, when we listen to our life, and we listen to it embraced by the deep love of God, God will show us how to live well. God reveals to us, how to live well. That's, I have rolled the dice, and that is the biggest gamble I take in my life right now, and it's a gamble well worth taking because I have confidence and faith that God will show me if I listen and if I'm willing to be faithful. I have a challenge for you. On your yellow sheet here, if you look at that just for a few moments, I've got some... a portion of it in italics, starting with verse 10. This is from the message. Again, it's a different paraphrase. It's a different translation, more paraphrase. But sometimes when we hear a passage differently, it resonates with us. At least it does for me. And my challenge is this, or my invitation, I guess, is maybe take a few times to read over this this week. To me, this is one way of how we can live well. This is verses and in words and descriptions of how life can be lived well in this culture. And maybe there's something here that will resonate. Maybe there's something here that will speak to your soul. Maybe there's something here that will invite you into a deeper journey. Let me read the rest of the passage, verse 10. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. 
Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. And if you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scripture tells us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. And don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. So here's my hunch. And it's a gamble, it's a risk, but my hunch is this. The more I listen to these words, the more I incorporate into my life, I'm going to live a better way. I'm going to live the best way. Some moments it may not seem that way. I don't like playing second fiddle sometimes. Sometimes I want to get the last word. Sometimes I want to hit back, usually verbally. But if I listen to these and listen to my life, I have a deep confidence that God's going to show me a better way to live. And when I listen to my life, God comes disguised as my life and says, listen, there's something I want to talk to you about if you're willing to listen and pay attention.